You probably didn't realize that I do listen to the incoming music when I get started. I just don't lay down these tracks, but I listen to it because it just it excites me. It gets me into the vibe, the same vibe that you're in. So I actually feel like a listener. Yes, I feel like a listener. And I'm excited. It is Friday the 13th, you Triskaidekaphobiacs. Friday the 13th of November 2020, episode 34 of The Way It Is official Bobby Golinski podcast. So I've said that 34 times. Well, I probably said it 134 times because I have had to edit some of the podcast. But I've said this um, as a final publish 34 times, 34 weeks. So uh, we're heading into the uh, home stretch to Christmas. I'm feeling Christmassy today. I'm feeling in the spirit. I am uh, very excited. We um, we always have a big show. You know that. We never have a lackadaisical show. We have had some shows that I would consider iconic and epic that uh, in the whole pantheon of podcasts eclipse anything that's ever been recorded or broadcast anywhere, full stop. And uh, that's true. And I've also had some that I've haven't been really excited about, but I thought I was excited at the time, but then I get great emails and comments and stuff like that and I go, oh, well, it resonated with somebody. It resonated with somebody. And as long as it does, that's why I'm here till infinity. I will outlive you all. So that's my goal is to outlive all my current listeners. And we've added a couple of more countries to our listeners, which is which is very, very exciting. So what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about a lot. We're going to have a quick splash into the uh, the elephant in the room, the ongoing U.S. election. Yes, ongoing. And we're going to talk about guitars. We're going to talk about Queen's Gambit again. But Bobby, you talked about that Netflix show a couple of weeks ago. I know. We're going to talk more about it because it deserves it. And speaking of Queen's, not New York, and um, not some people I know that are hiding. But we're going to talk about the ultimate Hollywood con queen. I am going to tell you a story that will absolutely blow your mind. And then we're going to talk about the demise of Johnny Depp from the uh, Fantastic Beasts franchise. Not because he's a wife beater, but because he's a loser of a case against a newspaper that called him a wife beater. Then we're going to talk about some really uplifting things, and then we're going to go into some real darkness for a few minutes and some clarifications over what's going on in the world as a whole and some previews of films that I am so excited about. And films have come back into my life in the cinema because it's like our 10th day in a row of double donut, double zero, uh, no deaths, not that I care about those, unless I know them, and no cases of Wu flu, which I do care about because I am never going to be locked down again. And uh, we did have a couple of deaths that I, that I am sad about. Vale Alex Trebek. Alex Trebek, the, the king of Jeopardy, one of the nicest guys in Hollywood. And um, his repartee with Sean Connery, which I talked about after Sean Connery passed, just uh, a week or so ago, 
was amazing, and I think Alex Trebek just couldn't hang on anymore without Sean. The penis mightier. And Norm Crosby. Norm Crosby, the master of malaprops. I just want to thank him so much for the decades of great arraignment. And uh, those of you that didn't grow up in the 50s and 60s will never know how misapropos that was. This guy at 93 was the king. Now, let's just, uh, there's going to be a lot of stream of consciousness. This is more going to be a very conversational show today because I was at the gym this morning. The gym was open. Oh my God. The gym and the pool were back open again. And uh, I just hit it so hard. And uh, I'm very grateful. I have to talk about what I'm grateful for in lockdown because I do have an attitude of gratitude. As my wife would often say, often, not always, but often, my glass is overflowing instead of half full. But we do know that I have bitter and angry dark side, as we all have, which I try not to bring out too often. But I can, as you know. But I was just um, swimming and swimming and swimming. And uh, I'm not a very strong swimmer. I'm more of a panic swimmer. And when you watch me swim, if you're a lifeguard, you, you'd be inclined to kind of get down off your chair because you think you're going to have to save me. I look like the type of guy that's, you know, not waving, drowning, as opposed to not drowning, waving. And if you saw me out in the ocean, you'd go, oh, fuck, I think a shark got that guy. Look. But that's just the way I swim. I, ne I never was taught how to swim. My mom took me to the YWCA in Sioux City, Iowa, not the YMCA. YMCA. Love that band. I loved that band before I even knew what gay was, and I still love them even more. And uh, the YWCA, the Young Women's Christian Association, because they had an amazing indoor pool upstairs. And uh, that's where I had a couple swimming lessons. And I think I had two. Didn't work for me. So every time in the summer we'd go to Lake Okoboji, I, uh, I didn't want to get in the water. I wasn't confident. And because I grew up on the Missouri River, which drowns about 90 kids every spring when the ice would melt. I didn't want to get in the river either. So uh, I just really kind of started swimming hard a couple couple years ago. But anyway, as far as an attitude of gratitude, I've just insanely fit not to blow my own horn. I would never do that on my own podcast. That's why it's called the way it is. But uh, very fit, weight's perfect. Still trying to get the waist down a bit, but I hit it really, really hard today. And while I was swimming back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, I was thinking of all the things I was grateful for in lockdown. And one of them is that before lockdown, way down last year, my wife one day woke up before me, as she is wont to, because her mind starts spinning early in the morning. Mine starts spinning around 1.17 p.m., right after lunchtime. That's when my mind really starts going. The wheels are spinning and the clutch is engaged and my mind goes from afternoon into the wee hours. That's also when I like to play the guitars and the drums and the keyboard. Um, I'm just more of a night person. It's the Cancerian in me with Pisces Moon 12th house and Aries rising. And as Mystic Medusa will tell us, we do have a lot of astro going on this week. A lot of astro. 
And uh, a lot of astro between Mr. Biden and Ms. Harris, too. Some gnarly, gnarly Mars squares between them, Scorpio to Leo, no less. So we're going to see some things coming up on the probable but not official president-elect and vice president-elect, which we'll talk about shortly. But uh, no, I like... Uh, I like the darkness, the evening. But anyway, my wife woke up a little bit before me and one morning and she said, you know what, we we really need to get a bunch of things for house hobbies, things things to do if, you know, we're stuck in the house, like learning a language, you know, playing the piano, some, something like that. And does she love a list? And I'm not talking about the composer or Schindler, but uh, she loves lists. I kind of love lists too. Mine are called the B-Tracker which I'll share in another episode, because it's too elaborate for you you people. For you people. But uh, we made a list of things, and it was kind of like we both wanted to learn a language, uh, things we could do together, um, play the piano, um, not to stuff on our own, that, uh, you know, one of us got sick and couldn't leave the house, and we're sitting here, or I thought, you know, something might be planned that I should know about, but, you know, house hobbies. Um, I've always loved sketching and doodling. I'm no good at all. My dad was amazing. While he was on the phone, and he was always on the phone at the office, he would be sketching and doodling. And he had been an art minor at the University of Iowa. He was an engineering major and an art minor. And the sketches he would make, like, amazing. Absolutely astonishing. I thought I had a bit of talent when um, I was very young. I sent in, there used to be these ads in the paper for young talent art school in it's like draw the cat or draw the grandma and you would draw it and you'd post it in and then they would send you and go, oh, wow, you've got a lot of talent. You should enroll in this art school. It was actually probably one of the earliest scams ever because there was nothing better than getting a letter back from some big company that says, wow, you've got talent. But it was just uh, a lure to get you to take their course. Um, no, this wasn't online. This was in like 1960 morons, you know. Jesus, they had online in 1960? No. As I said, it was in the newspaper. Do you remember those? Do you remember those? I still pick up the newspapers every week, um, always on the weekend. And some days, even though I subscribe to the online papers, quite, quite a few of them internationally and, and locally, but uh, I like holding a paper. I love that newspaper, especially a tabloid. Well, I'm just kind of flipping through and eating breakfast or eating lunch, something like that. It's um, it's much more enjoyable and absorbable than scanning up and down a screen. But I digress. Anyway, so we signed up for Duolingo. She's learning German, and I'm learning Italian, as you well know. I love sketching, so we went to Eckersley's and got a bunch of sketch pads and pens and, um, you know, chalk and the whole nine, not chalk, but, you know, charcoal stuff and the whole nine yards and um, a piano. We, uh, both of us had always wanted to learn the piano. I've always kind of played by ear, but we wanted to do it properly. And um, we bought a piano, which is a staple of the, staple of the, uh, of the house in the apartment. 
and uh, this was in October. Well, that was actually in October, two two years ago. So this this thing has been going for for more than a year, I guess. And um, some other hobbies. I of course have the guitar and drums, which isn't a hobby. It's more of an avocation. Um, when you were once the world's greatest guitarist, you you don't call it a hobby anymore. And the most amazing unsung drummer in the world. It uh, it's kind of between hobby and and vocation. So it's avocation but that's not something we do together as a hobby i have electric keyboard so we have things to do but it was like okay so okay we're equipped for this house hobby we hope not one of us is going to get really sick and you know be at home or that one of us isn't going to be hit by uh, a truck driven by an ice-addled cfmeu worker who's been driving 906 hours without a license working with an unregistered company on his way home late avoiding the south melbourne bridge and uh, hitting us, but um, it's like she had this portent, this premonition that became the woo flu. It's like she knew we were going to be locked. She, we're not supposed to say she, she, her, it, she, her, it. My wife knew. That goes back to a dinner conversation many years ago where my mom was yelling at me for something, and my dad goes, don't call your mother she. And I go, she, her, it, she, her, it conjugate conjugate she her it and he absolutely whacked me and um was only one of the three times he ever hit me and he'll never do that again but my wife not she my wife had this premonition of something and it wasn't an injury or illness it was lockdown so when lockdown came i mean i've been working from home for, you know, 112 years, basically, running my own show. And, well, you know, 25 years. And, you know, so the staying at home wasn't a big thing. But being confined to the house and not being able to go outside, except for an hour a day, the exercise and not drive anywhere, things like that, it just suddenly was like, oh my God, I'm glad we've got all these things, the sketching and the piano and the, the puzzles and the music and the the cooking. Cooking became a huge thing and, and the baking and all that. And it actually, as I get back to my original swim on the 14th lap of many, thinking about what I was grateful for, it was the immense fun and skill set expansion of those things that we got during the lockdown. Plus, uh, and I don't say this to gloat, it just is, I absolutely adore my wife, love my wife. And I am assuming, unless I read something in the paper, to my surprise, that that's reciprocal. And, uh, you know, very blessed there, very blessed there. And lo and behold, lo and behold, on the way home from the gym today, on the radio, on 3AW, which I listen to occasionally. I listen to terrestrial radio occasionally. There were people calling in that were so upset during lockdown because they found out how much they disliked their husband or wife or partner or children for long, unbridled periods of time. So uh, very, very grateful for that. I'm wondering what you're grateful about during lockdown. I don't know. But let's go back into the past for a brief shining moment. Died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. 
Well, you know that that song, that interlude, that supercut, brings us up to today in history. And uh, we're hitting the highlights today. We're hitting the highlights. We're not going back to like year dot and all of that. In 1789, just back to 1789, that's not that far. Benjamin Franklin wrote, Nothing is certain but death and taxes. Nothing is certain but death and taxes. Something that uh, Joe Biden's going to learn shortly, as we'll talk about that. No, no, don't worry, don't worry. You're expecting the wrong thing. Expect the unexpected. 1933, on this day, a Friday the 13th, the first modern sit-down strike by Ormel Meatpackers in Austin, Minnesota. Well, I got three things to say about that. One, although I am in a union, the Writers Guild, it's a guild, and uh, as I've said before, there are many valuable things over my career and uh, income and credits and things that I would not have without the Writers Guild. But I don't like fucking unions, and I don't like strikes, and I don't like Minnesota anymore either. So take that. Because, um, you know what? I don't like when the tail wags the dog. 1956. U.S. Supreme Court rules race separation on buses in Alabama is unconstitutional, which is a very, very good thing. And that's when the National Guard was called in. And so, yes, the National Guard has been called in for dramas a total of 13 times since then. 1980. U.S. spacecraft Voyager 1 sends back its first close-up pictures of Saturn. And Saturn is actually one of my favorite planets for a variety of reasons. One, because it's the best-looking of all the planets. Saturn, or as my son Stevie used to call it when he was a kid, Saturn. I go, Saturn. He goes, Saturn. He could never pronounce it right. And uh, I love the rings. love the rings and the little moons and things like that. And also Saturn, astrologically, is the planet of patience and retribution. In 1985, we travel south of the equator, where Nevado del Ruiz volcano erupted in Colombia, killing 25,000 people in the town of Armero. So, not exactly their favorite day. On this day in 1940, did you know that Fantasia was released? The animated Walt Disney film? Starring Leopold Stokowski and Deems Taylor. Fantasia, one of the all-time amazing things. And there's not a lot that I remember about my stint at Disney that I loved after the first couple years. But I love Fantasia. In 2002, music Eminem released his single Lose Yourself. The moment, 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 the moment. That lyric sheet is amazing. It took me years to, to memorize all that. The moment, the moment, the moment, the moment, the moment, the moment, the moment. From the soundtrack of 8 Mile, the first rap song to win Academy Award Best Original Song. And I did love that movie, and I did like that album. November 13th in sport. On this day in 1982, WBA lightweight champion Ray Mancini, no relation to Henry Mancini, who scored the Pink Panther movies, beats South Korean challenger Duck Koo Kim 
Dakku Kim, which actually is my favorite takeaway at the uh, Korean restaurant in Korea. That's my favorite takeaway. Uh, Challenger Dakku Kim by TKO, which is technical knockout, in the 14th round in Las Vegas. No, that's not racism or a cultural appropriation. That's simply making fun of a name that sounds so bizarre in English. I can see people muttering, racist, racist. Can you imagine what Bobby Galinsky sounds like to somebody in Korea? You know, they go, oh, oh, on this day, oh, in this day, November 13th, in, oh, in Melbourne, Australia, uh, episode 34 of The Way It Is with Bobby Galinsky. Oh, Bobby Galinsky. Oh. So, you know what? What goes around comes around. But Duck Koo Kim did not come around. He fell into a coma and died four days later. And as a result, the WBC shortened the title bouts to 12 rounds. WBA and WBO follow in 1988 and the IBF in 1989. So if you ever wondered why things go down to 12 rounds, it's like, whoa, I've been in a coma waiting for that. Yes, you have. Yes, you have. And on this day in 1982, very important, the Vietnam Veterans Memorial is dedicated in Washington, D.C. after a march to its site by thousands of Vietnam War veterans. And that is one of the most beautiful and haunting memorials. If you're ever visiting Washington, D.C., absolutely stunning. Uh, the big, long granite wall with all the names of every soldier who died in Vietnam. I believe it's granite. I'm really not sure of the composition. But uh, I remember seeing families doing rubbings, and that's where you put a piece of paper up to the wall where your you know, son or grandson or relative was, was killed. And um, take a pencil or graphite and rub across it, and the name would come off the wall and appear on the paper. And... Uh, Absolutely haunting. I actually wrote a treatment based on that called The Wall, which is somewhere in the U.S. at, uh, you know, my high-powered Cannon Drive Beverly Hills agent's office, where it's right on top of his desk where he's calling every day or, you know, under something being used as a paperweight. We, we never know until we know. But uh, about a woman that goes and has an unrequited and with her son. They have a big argument, and he goes off to war to Vietnam, and he dies, and then she goes to the wall and rubs his name off, and lo and behold, the name disappears from the wall. It's not on the granite anymore, and he is in the house when she comes home back to Atlanta from the visit to Washington, D.C., and he's there. It's like a miracle, and they have this day together and uh, go through everything that they've missed with each other over the past 30 years since he'd left. And then that next day he's gone and his name is back up on the wall. And uh, I thought it was an amazing premise. I don't mind sharing it. Um, what's ever out there is, is out there. So if you're going to steal it, I'll fucking find you. But I don't mind sharing it because it's such a beautiful story and I hope one day it gets produced. I've got five projects out there that either have a bit of money against them or no money against them or they're being optioned or they're sitting in someone's desk never to be opened and uh, I guess one of my little wishes is before I fall off the perch one day 
that one or more of those will come into fruition. And uh, maybe they will. And maybe none of them will. And if they don't, then I'll still die happy because I'm grateful for my life and I get to talk to you people every Friday, every Friday, every Friday. Now, that pretty much, except for a few things, brings up today in history because a couple of birthdays, Robert Louis Stevenson. I'm Robert Louis, oh, disappointment, Galinsky. Robert Louis Stevenson, great name. So when I'm rattling off Robert Louis, people are ready for something, but, uh, you know, they get me. And in a would you believe on this day, on this day in 6000 BC, and I question the fact that uh, this was actually discovered on this day, but it was published on November 13th, 27, that on this day, through carbon dating, as much as they can tell, the world's earliest winemaking was uncovered from Kramas Didi Gora, Georgia. Uh, that's the country, Georgia, not like Atlanta, in clay pots from 6000 BC, published November 13th, 2017. And uh, in case you were wondering, this is also the day architect Frank Lloyd Wright divorced socialite Catherine Tobin after 33 years of marriage. And that was not a happy divorce. And it's also the day in 1934 that actress and dancer Ginger Rogers weds All Quiet on the Western Front actor Lou Ayers. So that was a happy day. Now, speaking of weddings and divorces, and that is today in history. Story. Speaking of weddings and divorces, they're not final till the papers are signed. Everyone knows that. If you're getting divorced, it ain't official, and whatever you're doing can come back to haunt you fiscally, financially, socially, sexually, whatever, if your divorce isn't final. And if you're getting married, you're not officially married until that marriage certificate is signed. So hence, our little ham-handed but sneaky little segue into the U.S. election. The U.S. election is not official until the fat lady sings, so to speak. So what's happening right now is probable president-elect Joe Biden and vice president probable, not certain, elect Kamala Harris, or Kamala Harris, however it is, are waiting for all the official things to come in. Now, you probably noticed uh, in the Constitution where the uh, uh, Associated Press and CNN and Fox announced the, the winner. Oh, you didn't see that? Oh, you didn't see that in the Constitution. That's because it's not in the fucking Constitution. So if you think that the mainstream media officially calling... An election, please get a life, get some knowledge. This is how it works. And I've said this before, I'm going to say it one more time. And then we're going to talk about the nice things about this. November 4th to the 23rd, you see there's still another 10 days, the votes are counted. The finishing of the votes conclusion finishes on the 23rd. From November 10th till December 11th, the states certify election results. December 11th. That's after November. We're still in November. 
December 8th, a safe harbor is declared to determine election results and assign electors. And on December 14th, that's a little over a month, the electoral votes are cast. On December 23rd, the electoral votes must arrive in Washington. That is constitutional. That's not going to change. President Trump isn't going to delay it. It can't be changed. It's in the Constitution. Everyone goes, oh, he's, he's never going to leave office. January 3rd, the new Congress is sworn in. January 6th of 2021. We're in 2020 now. So for the liberals, that's next year. January 6th, electoral votes are counted and on January 20th is Inauguration Day. So, if the election holds for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, then they will be inaugurated on the 20th of January. doesn't matter what President Trump says or does whatever, he will leave office. He probably won't be happy. I'm sure he won't. He'll always say the election was stolen, and that's just the way it is. So everyone's freaking out, oh my God, you know, he's not going to leave office. He will leave office. He will leave office. There is zero chance of that. However, that having been said, as we all remember in the President Bush-Al Gore saga that went into late December, how late? Well, until the electoral votes were cast December 14th of that year, there was a big dispute, the hanging Chad dispute. So what's happening now in the next month is the election is being challenged and the votes are being checked. They have already found votes from dead people. They have already found blocks of votes that are quite inconsistent with the way that they were submitted and checked and filled out and arrived. And all that's happening is that the votes are being verified and checked. And some of the states, six states to be specific, are being challenged. The six states where the president had a lead in the evening and then woke up in the morning and didn't. And they're ones that have had postal problems, irregularities, massive irregularities that could be explained but might not, and also have been challenged by a United States Post Office whistleblower. So all this being happened is this being checked. If indeed, if indeed, Mr. Biden and Ms. Harris have legitimately won the election, then the great thing about it is we'll have known this was a legal election and there won't be any cloud over them when they're inaugurated on the 20th of January. And that is what we all want. We want people on both sides to go, well, they won fair and square. That way we won't have four years of going, they stole the election, they stole the election. Like what happened in 2016 when President Trump won and everybody went out and put on their pink hats. And went, he stole the election, he stole the election. Russia, 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 Russia. So what we want is clarity. Now, in the highly unlikely, almost infinitesimal, but possible chance that the election was fraudulently handled and the amount of votes that were fraudulent eclipse the margin by which Mr. Biden won in those states, then they will deal with it then with either a recount, um, several recounts, what, whatever the case may be, whatever the case may be. That's unknown territory. But all we're trying to do is clarify that. So it's never been a Trump versus Biden thing with me. As you know, uh, I'm a conservative, I'm a Republican. And for me, it's been my party and the values of my party, which is entrepreneurship, business, family, God, freedom to go to school, freedom of religion, versus the more liberal, social, pseudo-Marxist, communist values 
of the left. And half the country is one way and half the country is other way. So we will see what happened. And it's ever so most important because the election was so close. It's just science, bitches. What could that be? What could that be? A mighty, 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 mighty pheromone! Science! Bitches! And this is true. Science, bitches. Oh, oh my God, I almost lost my voice. I have lost my voice. Today, <clears throat> cough, gasp, could we edit this out? No, because we're going to go back in history and remember that today, Melbourne had one of the highest pollen counts in like years. How do I know that? Because I heard it on the terrestrial radio. And immediately after that, I got, you know, like a, sneezy cat all stuffed up and everything like that and i'm gonna to have to t take a zyrtec or something because i can hardly breathe and uh, hardly speak but um that's what's living in melbourne all the trees are going crazy out there it's we've had a couple of days it's been absolutely beautiful summer weather and um you know we're mostly out of lockdown um we can travel anywhere within the state now as of last week which is great we can have, you know, a few strangers over to the house. Um, you can actually go into Melbourne and abduct um, a child and bring him or her into your house, up to 10 of them. No, just kidding. No, they, you can't do that. Well, I don't think you can, but you can have up to 10 people, I think, uh, in a gathering. Maybe it's two in the house, 10 strangers, whatever, but no abductions at this point. I think abductions start on the 22nd. And... Uh, on the 22nd, I think we're back to complete normal, normal, other than masks, which people are pretty much saying, well, you don't need a mask outside now, and you don't need to have it in the restaurant. We didn't even have to have it at the gym today, like we thought. They said, no, you got to wear it into the gym, but you don't need it while you're inside the gym. It's just while you're traversing. So we are getting back to normal, and... Uh, we're going to discuss in the next week or two the politics of the lockdown and, and what worked very well and what didn't work very well. You know my stance on that. But I am very grateful that uh, we can cruise around and eat and, you know, drive anywhere and, you know, throw beer cans and cigarettes out of the car again, which is fantastic. But I digress. This is science, bitches. And, well, one of the most important things in science, since the whole world is paralyzed, thanks, China, with the Wu flu, is an amazing article by Aaron Garcia de Jesus, which could be Aaron Garcia de Jesus, but I'm pretty sure it's Jesus, in Health and Medicine, about Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine, which is 90% effective, preliminary trial data shows. Now, that got me so excited. It got the market so excited yesterday. The Dow went up almost, well well over 1,100 points before settling it up 900 and, sorry, 854 points the other day um, on Tuesday. And uh, 
the Australian market went wild and things like that, which is all good for those of us hoping for any kind of superannuation in our retirement. Since there's no bank interest and there's no handouts for us seniors that are sitting here with, you know, with our hopes, with our hopes, twiddling our, twiddling our thumbs, cooking our chicken noodle soup under the one flickering, wavering light over the single burner stove as it as the lights go out in the darkness where no one can help us. No, that's not us. But there are people in that position, and I do feel for them because um, old people are doing it tough right now with savings and health and death and age care and all that. But that's not science, bitches. We're back to this vaccine. But So that was the headline, Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine, which President Trump had said was days away and was only days away, is 90% effective preliminary trial data show. Say preliminary five times. However, the subheading, the vaccine protects people from getting COVID-19 according to an analysis of Wait for it, 94 cases, 94 cases. I was hoping there'd be like 100,000 tests or something like that. Well, as Mr. Jesus says, the race to greenlight a COVID-19 vaccine in the U.S. has entered its final sprint with one leading candidate becoming the first to release preliminary results showing the vaccine is more than 90% effective at preventing people from getting sick. The long-awaited announcement came in a November 9th news release detailing the results from an interim analysis of an ongoing Phase three clinical trial comparing the vaccine developed by global pharmaceutical company Pfizer and German biotech company BioNTech with a placebo. So, we are a significant step closer to providing people around the world with a much-needed breakthrough to help bring an end to this global health crisis. Pfizer chairman and CEO Albert Bourla said in the release shortly after buying millions of shares so that his wealth would exponentially increase. No, I just added that in there. I have no, I have no idea how many shares this guy has and am not alleging insider trading. But I'll bet we're going to find somebody at Pfizer knew about this announcement. Anyway, the trial has so far enrolled more than 43,000 people. Of these participants, 38,955 have completed the vaccine regimen, which consists of two, ooh, two injections spaced three weeks apart at the time of the analysis, which looked at data seven days after participants received the second dose, a total of 94 people in the trial had confirmed coronavirus cases. Hmm. It's early, but we can be cautiously optimistic, said Mark Slivka, a viral immunologist at Oregon. Health and Science University in Portland. Uh, I basically give no credence to anything out of Oregon. But by hitting greater than 90%, that's where we want to see successful vaccines. Now, immediately after that, Twitter and Facebook erupted with only about 3 billion people saying that they would never take a vaccine. They would never take a vaccine. So, yeah, I've read... I've exaggerated that number, but I cannot tell you how many thousands and thousands of tweets and Facebook posts and stuff from people going, well, I really hate the Wu flu and the COVID and, you know, I'm not going to have sex with bats anymore or eat them for dinner, but I'm certainly not going to have a vaccination. 
So I'm not sure where that leaves the world. I'm not sure where that leaves the world. You can't force people to have a vaccination. That's a little bit, you know, Nazi-ish. But on the same token, we do want people vaccinated. So I think my wife and I have decided the vaccine's probably a good thing, but we're not going to be the first. We are not going to be the first. Um, because I do not want to know exactly what side effects will be coming out, you know, from from this. Maybe you suddenly get bat wings and start, you know, and start flying around the house and stuff like that. Jesus, Mabel, what was that? That was your uncle. He's got that bat disease again, flying around. But um, I don't know. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. And that is another advancement from science. Now, I have been talking about the stock market as a result of that announcement, which was pretty major. Uh, and speaking of the stock market, um, I do have a wish. I'm just hoping that so many people are leaving Twitter and Facebook and YouTube, the tech tyrants, and moving over the parlor and uh, MeWe and Rumble and stuff like that. I just would love to see Facebook and Twitter stock price just demolished. That's a wish. So if you have those shares, I'm not saying what you should do with them. I would never give financial advice. But I'm wishing for them to collapse because they are evil. So if I never had Facebook or Twitter again, I really wouldn't care. I wouldn't care. I'd still have you, and you'd have me, and that is all you need to see, except you do need to vote. There's only one less than a week away. There's only a couple of days left to vote for the Australian Podcast Awards. So as you've seen before, and maybe if you're a newcomer and you're thinking, wow, I can't believe I just discovered this podcast. This is the most amazing thing since sliced bread, free cocaine, and uh, living in a socialist society where we all drive Ferraris and uh, never have to pay taxes and can eat lasagna and sponge passion fruit cake with lots of icing and never gain weight. But this is the best thing. Well, perhaps you better get over to Australian Podcast awards.com that's australian podcast awards.com forward slash vote and just type in either bobby galinsky that's me or the way it is and vote click and then you'll get an email and you'll just have to click on that email because that's for the listener's choice award and uh, i'm getting a lot of votes and the listener choice award is very important to me because I really do this for you, for fun. But being, you know, a narcissist and uh, a borderline sociopath, I really want to have feedback. I just need to know that you like me. And getting the Listener's Choice Award, because I missed out on the uh, Indigenous Award, the LGBTQ Award, the uh, Women's Awards, the Me Too Award, the Best Sports Podcast Award, the uh, best award by a one-legged lesbian who has raised a spotted owl in Bernie Tasmania and doesn't like logging and voted green award. I was so close to that one, so close. I couldn't produce the owl. I didn't have the spotted owl where the winner had one. 
you know, or the photo. Could have been Photoshop, like the one of Prince Andrew with his armor on that girl. Oh, that's not my arm. But the Listener's Choice Award means a lot to me. And it means, like Sally Field would say, you like me, you really like me. And I would just like to show those people that um, you enjoy what I have to share. So if you take a moment and vote, I appreciate it. And if you pass it on and share, I'd appreciate it. Now, speaking of appreciation, So, you finally arrived. What the hell are you wearing? It's my ass-kicking outfit, bitch! And what ass-kicking outfit does your podcaster have on today? Well, you know what? Nothing new, nothing borrowed, nothing blue, but something old. Nothing ordered online, ran out of cash for online, and, you know, it's back to back to the grind, back to, back to sitting here at the desk thinking of things to share with you. So I went for an old favorite since... We're not locked down anymore, ostensibly. So going to the gym, I wanted to be comfortable. So I just threw on a pair of gray shorts that I got overseas that are pretty much nondescript, but very soft, very soft. And my favorite little white, and it is little because I have lost weight, as you know, little white Orlebar Brown polo. Now, Orlebar Brown is a British clothing brand which specializes in tailored men's swim shorts. But you're wearing a polo. Yes, yes, they've expanded. The company was founded by photographer Adam Brown, as in Orla Bar Brown, as after he identified a gap in the market for smart men's swimwear. Now, that's actually punctuation's important. It's not smart men's swimwear. It's smart men's swimwear. So you have to be smart like me. Stupid people can't wear this. And it was launched in March 2007. And the company is still directed by Adam Brown, as well as CEO Paul Donahue. They're based in West London, and they employ over 50 people. In summer of 2006, that sounds like forever ago, it was only 14 years ago, Adam Brown had the idea for Orlebar Brown on holiday in India and decided to partner with an old acquaintance, Julia Simpson Orlebar, to launch the brand. I guess that's where Orlebar Brown came from. And uh, you might have seen it back in the uh, 06s to 010s. They they specialized in men's swim shorts that were based on a 17-piece pattern of a pair of traditional men's suit trousers. They feature a four-part shaped waistband, zip fly closure, and side fasteners. The Italian zippers on the fly in the back pocket are applied by hand, by hand, although the pocket itself and darts are machine applied. Now, Here's the rub. While Orlebar Brown is best known for its swimwear, 55% of the company's sales, that's not electoral votes, that's 55%, are from non-swimwear, like my polo. They have a selection of rash guards, shorts, polo shirts, long and short sleeve shirts, jumper sweatshirts, and, since 2016, shoes that can be worn in water, which Ted Kennedy would have bought for Mary Jo Kopechny in a heartbeat. Now, the company has an app. Hashtag snap shorts, which allows customers to design their own swim shorts by uploading a photograph. Their design can be made into a bespoke pair of shorts or shared on social media, which is cool as hell. So you can have a photo of, you know, someone and have it on your shorts and things like that. Now, I picked these up in Noosa a couple of years ago, and 
They make me think of our lovely holiday in Noosa. My wife and I love Noosa. It is in southern Queensland. And uh, this is kind of a groovy, kind of funky. For those of you in the U.S., it's a little bit like Maui. Like, um, you know, it's got that Maui kind of vibe, kind of feel. It's laid back. It's really a strip, a street strip with a couple of hotels and some, a lot of nice townhouses and things like that. The most amazing beach. Fantastic swimming. Great food. And it's, it's, it's posh, but it's not elitist. So it's very upmarket, but it's not snobby and uh, really nice, really nice. And we were supposed to go there a while back, but thanks to China and um, some state premiers, which I won't even give the credit of mentioning their names, we, we couldn't go interstate, things like that. But anyway, I really felt good putting these on, felt like the old days. Feels like the old days. And uh, in 2018, they collaborated with Australian Formula One driver Daniel Ricciardo for a collection of limited edition swim shorts, the amazing Australian driver. And you know what? It's cool. Absolutely cool. And by the way, they are no longer independent. They're no longer independent. I'm afraid they've been purchased. They have been purchased. Chanel acquired the company in 2018 in September. But Adam Brown has retained his role as creative director. So they've gone through some changes. So even though Chanel doesn't make men's clothes, they make the most beautiful women's clothes, I feel like I could be a part of that in case I transition. No, just kidding. I think it's cool that Chanel acquired them. They're very inexpensive, very affordable, um, and they're really groovy. So check them out. They're in the show notes, and they're uh, very, very groovy. Now, what has your podcaster been drinking? A lot of people said, oh, that wine you had last week was very, very pricey. And I did say I'd be flagging some cheaper wines. And this week, I went cheap. I put on the old clothes, went into the old car, the old 2015 Porsche Boxster Special Edition, and brought out some old cheap wine. Well, which old cheap wine was it? It was Yolumba Samuel's Collection Eden Valley Voignier. And it is yummy. So Voignier from Eden Valley, Barossa, South Australia. 60% of this wine was aged 10 months in French oak with the remaining 40% in stainless steel. It's also vegan friendly for those of you deviants out there. And you know what? It was only $16. It's only $16, and uh, it's tasty and yummy. And there's a lot of things between $10 and $16 you can get in Australia. I don't know what it's like in the States, what the prices are like, but uh, I'm not a wine snob. I'll drink expensive wine. I'll drink cheap wine. But I won't drink bad wine. And uh, to me, it's not the price of the bottle. It's um, really how it tastes, and very blessed here. Um, I thought when I moved from California, it would be hard to beat California wines, but Australian wines absolutely rock. But uh, we're not wine snobs here, but so if you just want to have a nice light Fournier uh, for dinner or lunch or breakfast, or uh, now that the kids are back in school, you might want to have a few glasses before you take the kids to school or before you pick them up. Um, it, goes with, uh, it goes with just about everything and uh, is very 
tasty and yummy and is also in the reverse wine snobs top 10 wines under $20. Now, you may have thought, well, he's drinking, he's driving, he's swimming, he's working out, but has he baked? He hasn't talked about that in a while. I pseudo-baked, because when we made that amazing passion fruit sponge some weeks ago, my wife, being a clever, clever cat, cut it in half and actually turned it into two cakes. And we put one of the sponges in the freezer. Now, I didn't know sponge would freeze so well, which is a frightening thing. Um, And, uh, you know, it's like discovering you could put quaaludes in a safety deposit box and two years later come and and get them, and they'd still be fresh. But um, no, that was an 80s thing, folks. That was an 80s thing. But uh, sponge cake freezes beautifully. So lo and behold, the other day, I saw this circular kind of pizza-looking thing on the counter, and my wife had taken the frozen sponge out. Now, I thought it was some of our pizza you know, dough things or some kind of bread thing, but no, it was the sponge cake. And so we took out the Mix Master and whipped up some passion fruit icing and some cream. And it was as if we baked the whole thing. And it was a reprise, a redux, a sequel, a doppelganger, a duplication, a revisit, a circle of life completed, a low-density, high-hadron collider, collision force, complete identical double of what we baked a while ago. And it was so fucking good. So it's not anything new, but everything old is new again. And we're going to be doing this more and more. I think we're going to be, as Christmas is coming up, we're going to be attempting some amazing baking and cooking. So stay tuned here in the next couple of weeks because we may have some epic fail. We don't fail too often, but when we do, we do it on, you know, Victorian hotel quarantine quarantine style epic fail. We're going to attempt some big stuff. So let me entertain you. Let me just entertain you. Orchestra ends and I begin. How seamless. And yes, it's entertainment time. I did flag that I'd be talking about the Queen's Gambit again because we've just been revisiting it. And what an astonishing show. Some of the, probably the best seven eps of a mini series or extended series that I've seen in a very, 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 very long time. And for those of you that might have missed the earlier review and a uh, couple of podcasts ago, a couple of episodes ago. I'm not going to give away the spoiler, but it's basically about a young orphan who becomes a chess prodigy. And it's a uh, elaborate Bildungsroman about her life and her battles and her wins. And it's got sex and it's got drugs and it's got chess. Uh, and what more could you want? Now, a lot of you are thinking, I'm going to watch a seven-episode 
miniseries about chess. Well, if you play chess, you know that chess is life. Chess is every decision, pro and con, that you can make in life. It's planning, it's despair, it's victory, it's, it's hanging in, it's never quitting, it's never looking down, and sometimes surrendering when you have to. And occasionally, there's a draw. But if you don't like chess or know anything about chess, it don't matter. East Coast, West Coast, it don't matter. You will love this show. I'm telling you, you can trust me. You will love it. We'll love this show. If you don't love this show, please unsubscribe. But first, write to me and tell me why you, di you didn't like it. Um, it's from the novel by Walter Tevis originally. Now, Walter Tevis also wrote The Man Who Fell to Earth. Boom, David Bowie. The Color of Money. Boom. The Man Who Fell to Earth. TV movie, boom. The Hustler, Paul Newman, boom. But the great 1961 epic novel. And the Loretta Young Show in 1959, which if you remember Loretta Young, she was pretty epic. So, called from the novel, but series directed and created by Scott Frank. And if Scott Frank's name doesn't ring a bell, Scott Frank has been around a long time. Logan out of sight, lookout, and yes, Minority Report. He is an amazing writer, a really kind of unsung writer on how good he is. And Logan was really um, my favorite Hugh Grant uh, Wolverine film that uh, I don't think it really got the kudos it deserved. But let's get back to the film the uh, or to the show. Anya Taylor-Joy in the lead is in every single scene of this seven hours. Every single scene. She's amazing. Absolutely amazing. And you may have seen her before, and I know I'm reprising this a bit because it's just so absolutely astonishing. Uh, she's been in Sea Change, Weed Sea Bat, The Northman, Last Night in Soho, The New Mutants, Here Are the Young Men, Emma, Peaky Blinders, Radioactive, The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, Playmobil, Glass, uh, see, I'm naming a lot of things that you probably never heard of at all, other than, you know, maybe Peaky Blinders. And that's because this is her big break. Amazing. And Marielle Heller plays her adopted mother. And Marielle Heller is a fantastic director who just came back to acting. And everyone in this is so astonishing. But most of the people you have never have seen at all. It's just one of these visions that how did this get made? Did somebody go to Netflix and go, listen, fantastic story. Orphan becomes a chess prodigy. Oh, well, okay. And we need about 60 million to make it. Okay, 60 million for a riveting orphan chess film. And who's going to be in it? No one. No one you know. Hmm. Okay. Well, fuck, that sounds good. Let's do it. Man, you just got to credit Netflix. It. Uh, my wife and I were saying this, this is like the best original series since Money Heist, which came out of nowhere. But this one isn't subtitled. It's in English. Oh, thank God. Don't have to battle through subtitles and dubbing and stuff like that. But totally amazing. Please, please watch the first episode. Please watch the first episode. It will absolutely crush you. Now, Speaking of The Queen's Gambit 
in Queens. As I said before, we are going to talk about the con queen. The con queen? Who's the con queen? Well, the con queen is a lady that's been going around in Hollywood for the past couple years pretending to be Amy Pascal, Kathleen Kennedy, Stacy Snyder, and a Homeland director. If you're not in the industry, as we say, you might not recognize those names, but they are women who have been head of studios and the most powerful women in Hollywood. Now, this article from Scott Johnson originally appeared in The Hollywood Reporter back in 2018 in July, but it has gone through a lot of transmogrifications and evolutions in the search for the con queen. Now, the Hollywood Reporter has obtained exclusive audio recordings of this savvy imposter as victims come forward and the global investigation heats up. As Scott reports, he was a freelance documentary photographer, 27, eager, but not inexperienced. He'd worked in conflict zones for several prestige newspapers and magazines and shot campaigns for corporate clients. But one day... In late 2017, he opened his mail to find an unusual message, his email. The first thing he noticed was the sender's name, Amy Pascal, the former co-chair of Sony Pictures Entertainment, one of the most powerful women in the world, entertainment-wise. That kind of thing didn't happen every day. Pascal wanted to know if he would be interested in traveling to Indonesia hmm, to pursue an exciting project. They got on the phone the next day to discuss it further. His previous assignments had often taken him overseas. He'd explored 16 countries during the past year, including Indonesia. Strange. He knew the terrain and could hit the ground running. After the call, he looked at the email again and noticed the URL, pascalfilms.com. Online, it didn't exist. Pascal, now a producer, Spider-Man Homecoming, The Post, did have an outfit called Pascal Pictures, but that company didn't seem to have a website, so he just chalked it up to the fact that Pascal had been very, very publicly embarrassed in the 2015 Sony hack, resulting in the disclosure of her private emails. In those private emails where she basically called Angelina Jolie a minimally talented spoiled brat in her hacked email. Other revelations from emails included David Fincher saying Adam Driver being cast in Star Wars was a terrible idea, while Oscar-winning producer Scott Rudin complained about Jolie's insanity and rampaging ego. To digress just a bit, in the article written by Ben Beaumont Thomas, as pulled from the Defamer um, website on The Guardian, it was really during the uh, pre-production on Cleopatra, on Cleopatra when Jolie wanted Fincher to direct her in that, um, rather than taking the Steve Jobs film that had been originally scheduled, Rudin had told Pascal to, quote, shut Angie down before she makes it very hard for David Fincher to do Jobs, the Steve Jobs film. Despite acknowledging Cleopatra could be a massive commercial hit, Rudin then escalated his opposition to the film, writing, there is no movie of Cleopatra to be made, and how that is a bad thing given the insanity and rampaging ego of this woman and the cost of the movie is beyond me, referring to Jolie. Watch how you talk to me, he said to Pascal, prompting her response. Don't fucking threaten me. 
Another rudent email had also attacked Jolie, calling her minimally talented spoiled brat, who thought nothing of shoving this off her plate for 18 months so she could go direct a movie, Unbroken. She's a camp event and a celebrity, and that's all. And the last thing anyone needs is to make a giant bomb with her that any fool could see coming. I just love things like this, these little chit-chats between producers. Anyway, to get back to Amy Pascal and the queen of the conmen impersonators. As shared, when uh, our little friend checked that Pascal had been very publicly embarrassed in the 2015 Sony hack and all of her emails were disclosed, that lack of an online presence for her new company made sense. So, when they spoke again on the phone, Pascal flattered him. She enthused about his still photography, which she knew intimately. She also was familiar with details of his clients, corporate ones, specific personality quirks of people with whom he'd worked closely. Quote, you wouldn't know these things. You wouldn't know these things at all unless you dealt with these people in very specific ways, he says now. This gave her immediate credibility. So, rewind, the free, freelance documentary photographer gets the email from who he thinks is Amy Pascal. They have a chat. Everything seems to be completely kosher. So over the course of several conversations, Pascal explained that she's reinventing herself after the Sony hack. Quote, she said the news media had made the hack into more of a terrible event than it really was. She was still very close with everyone, working actively with them. She had a new production company, new staff, a slate of fresh projects, blah, 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 ginger. And as part of this reinvention, she wanted to develop a pair of short documentary films and was, get to it, looking for a talented photographer with just the right aesthetic, someone who might be even interested in directing one day, which is the ultimate bait. Every, almost every photographer wants to direct. And it was just like, you know, the carrot on the string. She wanted to collaborate to build something special from the ground up. So... She explained he would stay in Indonesia for about a week, shooting images of landscapes, temples, and iconic scenery for a storyboard that would bolster his bona fides with potential buyers. Together, they would edit the results into a pitch they'd present to finance people in L.A. She'd sort the hotels. He would pay in advance for the airfare and front the costs for drivers, translators, food, and other sundries. He would pay in advance. She would reimburse him for all these expenses. These kinds of financial arrangements are not unusual for freelancers in creative industries, so don't get the red flag up just yet. He reviewed the contracts she sent. It was all pretty standard, mundane, but necessary routine in the life of a photographer. Nothing stood out except that it was exceptionally professional. Before long, our man was on a plane to Jakarta. Six months and 65,000 US dollars later, the photographer who has requested anonymity out of concern for his safety has come to understand that he was duped by one of the most elaborate scams ever to hit Hollywood. The woman he'd spoke to several times a day for weeks on end wasn't Amy Pascal but a sophisticated imposter who took him for a colossal financial and emotional ride. For the past two and a half years, almost, almost three and a half now since the time this was written, and we're going to update you with exciting news. 
hundreds of unwitting victims around the world have been ensnared by a small but cunning criminal organization whose contours are only beginning to be understood. Three of the impersonators, the producers, the would-be producers, have retained the services of a high-end corporate investigations firm, K2 Intelligence, run by Jeremy M. Kroll, brother of comedian Nick Kroll. Their father, Jules, founded Kroll, considered a foundational benchmark in the world of corporate risk management. K2 Intelligence won't reveal specific clients, but sources confirm that one of them is Pascal. She declined to comment for this story. Hollywood companies are also getting involved. And earlier this year, when Lucasfilm's Kathleen Kennedy learned she had been impersonated also, she informed Disney's internal security. A spokesman, spokesperson for Kennedy says she refers all cases of fraud to law enforcement. Now, it's just heating up. Victims of the elaborate ruse are led to believe they're speaking to powerful female entertainment execs, including billionaire producer and philanthropist Gigi Pritzker, former Paramount head Sherry Lansing, 20th Century Fox CEO Stacy Snyder, and Leslie Linka-Gladder, a director and executive producer on such shows as Homeland, The Walking Dead, and Mad Men. Quote, this is such a terrible thing, I was shocked, said Lansing, who left the industry a decade ago to focus on philanthropic work. Now, in next week's show, we're going to go into the details here, how the imposter worked by using a combination of deceit, charm, and intimidation to manipulate her marks, how they brought in 300,000 or more a year on each little case, times dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of cases, and how everything worked, and then give you an update on just who these people might be. It's an astonishing story that just can't be told in this one episode. So stay tuned for that. Part two next week. Now, lastly, in entertainment news, next week I will be at the movies with the solicitor to the stars. We're going to see Tenet, which has opened worldwide earlier in the year. It was supposed to save the movie industry, but Wu Flu killed the movie industry although video killed the radio star. Woo flu killed the cinema show. But in 70 millimeter in all of its glory, as it's meant to be seen, my solicitor and I are going, and it'll be in this giant mega cinema with 18 other people, because you can only have 20 people in the cinema. So I'll be reporting on that experience. And um, as I said before, Johnny Depp has been asked to leave Fantastic Beasts, the J.K. Rowling franchise, because of his loss of the wife-beating innuendo slander lawsuit that uh, he was unable to uh, overcome. And he's got a few more pending. Um, is he a wife-beater? I don't know. I wasn't there. You'd have to ask Amber Heard. And then you'd have to believe her. We believe you! Not really. We don't. But uh, who knows? Who really knows? And really, who cares? But what's important is Johnny Depp still gets his $25 million because he had a pay-or-play contract with Warner Brothers. So when Warner Brothers asked him to resign, they couldn't fire him, he resigned. So he doesn't have to do the movie, and he gets $25 million. So not a bad deal. Not a bad deal. We're going to talk about Mank, 
next week too, which is my early choice for probably best film at the Oscars, which is a film about a screenwriter. And there's nothing more that Hollywood loves other than films about themselves. And David Fincher directed David Fincher, The Social Network, Seven, and um, you know dozens of other products, projects, Zodiac. Um, David Fincher can almost do no wrong. And the trailer is absolutely amazing. And I'll have a review on that this coming week. So folks, other than that, just a couple of shout outs of um, discoveries and rediscoveries. If you live in Melbourne, the Brighton Schoolhouse, the Brighton Schoolhouse has the best nachos that I've eaten in Melbourne. We have had them twice in just about as many days. And uh, guess what? It's an old Brighton Schoolhouse on Church Street. And uh, check it out. Great service, great food sitting outside in the sun. And just catty corner and down the street, an old favorite of ours, Botticelli which reopened with amazing chef owner Salvatore. Just beautiful, astonishing, hot, penny arrabbiata, bellissimo, absolutely fantastic. And on that note, don't worry too much about the election, the U.S. election. Worry only about my podcast, Listener's Choice Vote. And uh, we'll be able to all put this behind us in just a while and return the normal which is good. And I'll leave you with just two interesting quotes about the recent events in politics, one of them uncredited. If observing American politics these last four years has taught me one thing, it's that most of the actors, musicians, and celebrities that I've grown up watching and admiring all my life fiercely hate everyone who has opposing political views. I've watched my superheroes turn into super ugly trolls. I'll second that one. But on a more uplifting note from someone I follow named Zuby. Zuby is amazing. You want to follow this guy if you want some great messages. Imagine if people got as hyped about their own mental, physical, spiritual, financial, and relational development as they do presidential elections the world would actually become a much better place immediately. And you know what? Let's make the world a better place immediately. And by immediately, I mean now, by voting for me in the Listener's Choice Awards. And now the rest of it is in your hands. Enjoy the week. We'll see you next week with a continuation of that amazing Hollywood con queen story and all kinds of other goodness. Be awesome. It's Remembrance Day here and over in the UK, remembering the fallen soldiers who fought so bravely for our freedom. And freedom isn't free. Someone had to pay for it. Let's enjoy it. God bless you.